Hi everyone, before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to let you know that we've encountered some technical difficulties this time and it's been a journey, but at the end of the day we managed to put it somehow together. So if the edit's gonna be a little bit rougher than usual, we are very sorry, we did all we could, really. Either way, we hope you still enjoyed the episode because we did have absolute ball recording it. Thank you. Welcome to the Apple of Truth, a weekly podcast where we cover every episode of Lucifer while exploring plot holes and admiring the guyliner, all with the love for the show and its creators. I'm Vero. And I'm Lina. And today we're covering Lucifer, season two, episode six, Monster. Which is a fucking Halloween episode. I mean, the name of the episode works on so many levels, I can't even. My summary for today's episode is three parallel stories keep us more than busy in this one. First, we got a guilt-wrecked Lucifer trying his hardest to self-destruct after having killed Uriel. Second, we get Ames being manipulated by Mom. And third, we have character development of Mace by bonding with Trixie via trick-or-treating. I adore all the plot lines. It's a very good balance. And still, I got engaged into the case of the week somehow, which that is an accomplishment. The case was surprising and now I'm hopefully gonna blow your mind because we have a return writer. The writer is Chris Rafferty and he is the one. He who wrote A Priest Walks Into a Bar. That explains a lot. Everything. And this episode has an even higher rating than A Priest Walks Into a Bar. That one had a 9.1. This one has a 9.2 fucking love Chris Rafferty. Thank you so much for giving us this episode. Isn't Chris Rafferty still working on the writing stuff? Yes. Good to know. Also, we have a 6x6 now for Lucifer saying the episode title. And I'm gonna go on a tiny tangent, or as they are now being called, the devil is in the details. Shout out to the wonderful Reddit user Frostbite Joe, who gave me the amazing name idea. And let's be honest, it's so obvious, I can't believe I didn't think of it myself. This episode is full of more or less probable nods to horror and or Halloween movies and their character. And half of the ones that I found are actually missing on IMDb. And I'm still not sure I caught them all. There might be even more. Strode Industries, the company at the very end he makes the fake name badge for. Laurie Strode is the female male character from Halloween. Freddie Loomis, Freddie from Nightmare on Elm Street and Dr. Sam Loomis from Halloween. The ex-boyfriend is named Jason Myers, Jason from Friday 13th and Michael Myers from Halloween. The two married doctors are named Jack and Sally the two main characters from Nightmare Before Christmas. The movie on TV when Trixie and Mace are sleeping is the 1984 version of Nightmare on Elm Street. Edgar Romero, the zombie groom, George A. Romero is literally the godfather of the zombie genre and Edgar Wright is who co-wrote and directed Shaun of the Dead. 
And then we also have the killer who is named Wes Williams. Wes Craven made Nightmare on Elm Street and was a pioneer in the entire horror genre. And Ash Williams is the fucking main character in the Evil Dead movies and show. Wow. What the actual fuck? I can honestly say I've seen two of these movies. I've seen Nightmare Before Christmas and I've seen Shaun of the Dead. Yeah, because those two are the only non-frightening parts of what I referenced. So really well done. And the naming of the characters is, I assume, done by the writer. So once again, fucking Chris Rafferty. Damn. And that concludes my devils in the details and facts and fun section. So, obsession of the week. I'm very curious what you got, because I debated quite long what I was going to put there. For me, it was very straightforward. I decided to call self-punishment obsession of the week. Okay, I went with guilt and responsibility. I feel like guilt is not an obsession. Responsibility can be an obsession to me. I'm more focused on the the episode obsession and there's a lot of guilt to go around. For sure, that it is. But also a lot of self-punishment, which is actually true not just for Lucifer in this case. It is true for our main villain. Wes Williams. Oh yeah, there you go. So it's true also for Wes Williams, who is the main shooter. So self-punishment for me and guilt and responsibility for you. I think they kind of lined up together pretty well as well. And also it's a very nice example of we might not agree, but we actually match. So that's how this whole thing works. (laughs) This is the podcast. (laughs) We can move on to previously on Lucifer. Chloe and Mace are moving in together. It's fine. Everything is fine. <laughs> Lucy made a deal with Dad to save Chloe's life. Chloe gets into a car accident caused by Uriel. Yuri gives Lucy an ultimatum and then beats up Ames because Ames has lost his powers and Mum manipulates Lucy to kill Uriel. I wouldn't say that she manipulates him actively to kill him, but to confront. I know the show would disagree with me, but this is how I see it and nobody will take that away from me. That's perfectly fine. We start the actual episode with a freaking zombie wedding. And come on, let's be honest, that's the best wedding idea ever. Not a huge fan of weddings in general, but oh my god, I would love to attend zombie-styled wedding. I knew you would appreciate that. We get a song with this scene called Dance Like a Monster by Playdate. It's very fitting for the scene, I have to say. And I completely forgot that the groom gets shot and then the bride dies. I kind of just started this off. It's like, oh, he got shot. He dead. And then the bride dies. And she's like, Okay, what is happening here? Is that somebody just gonna shoot out the whole wedding or what? I loved how it was set up because he gets shot in the arm and she's completely freaking out. Like, this is real and nobody believes her. And then she gets shot dead center and then everybody's freaking out. I mean, there's still a few people, I think, who think that it's a part of the wedding, but it's very well set up. I agree. And it's a very short opening, but I don't really mind that. We transition over to Lucy on a binge. Our former obsession with distraction being better than dealing, still going strong. And I really like the way it is shot. He's binging alcohol, women and drugs. He's just getting everything that's potentially distracting to him. And he is very, very already at this point destructive in his personal connections because Linda shows up to check on him and 
the way he tells her to shut it in regard to the open door is very painful. Like this entire episode has so many painful moments, which for me makes me love it even more. As I said last time, if I don't suffer, I'm not happy. Since we are in Lux for this scene, there is a song playing. It's by Kaleo and it's called No Good. And to me, that means there is nothing good that Lucifer can do to make this better. There is no good left in him. And also that he himself doesn't see as any good. Also, we get another hint of Linda's superpowers, herself being such a good human being, where Lucifer offers her sex and she flats out refuses. And it's another nod to... I can now resist you. This is not about me anymore. This is about you. And I'm here to try to help you through this. You're my client. I'm treating you. Yeah. She is a workaholic, but it also means that she cares so much. And I just want to hug Lucifer. Also, this is one of my many notes for this episode for Lucifer being extremely hot. I don't know. I, I have a problem. He is just being so... Uh, it's a savior complex it's a thing ah he's hot because he's appearing broken not he's hot because he's all tangled up and sweaty i don't know i hey don't make me rationalize it i'm just trying to understand what part is hot it's just him so everything Insert Gary Oldman gif. He's like this wounded animal that just runs around. I just want to help him to feel better, I guess. Talk to a therapist about the savior complex that you have? I for sure should. But that is actually all I have for that scene. It's visually extremely well done, but there's not much content happening. We come to an amazing scene. I titled this scene, If you don't know about sex yet... It's just a swing. I know. And this title is one of my notes. It's, (laughs) yes, it is a sex swing, but why a sex swing can't be a regular swing. I think Chloe mostly takes issue that probably someone had sex in it and that's why she doesn't want Trixie to swing in it. Yeah, but at the same time, would you ban your child to crawl into your bed in the middle of the night when they're scared because you had sex in the bed? Also, I feel that Mace very, very surely disinfects her toys. So it's much cleaner than any swing on the playground but it's miracle prudishness i personally think that mazakin is extremely clean mm-hmm. so i just don't see a problem in having a swing as a child i would love to have a swing inside a house and would i know in eight years old that it's a sex swing probably not would i care if i knew probably not well the sex swing is perfect and i fully agree with mace that it's furniture i actually understand chloe's point of view but in my opinion chloe has seen enough of mace to know her openness about anything sexual and her being prone to dangerous activities and violence and she was warned by lucifer as well exactly so before maze moved in the two of them should have sat down and talked about what is okay what is not okay what are the hard limits for either side so this is actually poor planning on chloe's part but thankfully it all works out in the end also did you notice the pumpkins on the kitchen counter i haven't there were three pumpkins and you can tell who carved which one there's an extremely boring pumpkin which 100% is done by Chloe. There is a small one that looks rather cat or demon-like with the fangs, like vampire cat monster something with fangs and everything that was definitely done by Trixie. And there is a big one with half the face carved off 
Oh my god. See, they are a little family. And this is what I think that why this was such a genius move from the writers to put them together in one apartment because they, well, one, they're already bickering. So <laughs> that's the friction that is created. But this is what we want to see. We want to see them interact. We want to see them solving problems like I have a sex swing and I have a child <laughs> pitting against each other. It just works really well and it's entertaining to watch and it's super cute and I'm just really happy about this whole situation. Oh, yeah. Full agreement there. So with this done, Chloe gets a phone call and she gets called off to the crime scene. I kind of made a note of the fact that Dan is always, since season one, on the crime scene before Chloe for some reason. I know that they're using it in order to give us the information about what happened. So having somebody doing the exposition is part of the scene and it's rather have it done by a character that we know and potentially love than some random police person. So I kind of get that, but like... I have a potential explanation if you want. Oh yeah. I had a thought, is it because Chloe outranks him? But that would be weird because that was happening even in season one where they were on the same level. In season one, most of the times when Chloe is late, there's a reason why she's later at the scene. There even is like some acknowledgement to that when she's coming there and then like reprimands her for being late and stuff like that. So while they are on evil rank, when she shows up after him, it's because she outranks him and the detective doesn't do like the roping off and all of that bullshit, just does the nice part of the police work. That makes sense. I think that this episode does a very good job in posing questions for me and me taking a note of them and then immediately gets them answered. You know, like sometimes you have questions like, why did they do this? How did they get this? information and every single time I thought this in the next 15 seconds I got an answer so a lot of my notes are like oh ah okay oh there we go Mm, shouldn't have written that down never mind so your notes are gonna be a joy to read then (sighs) yeah why I'm saying this now this is the situation that happened. Lucifer is drunk, showing up at the scene. It must take a lot to get him drunk. And then immediately after that, he says, I cannot get drunk. My metabolism is way too quick for that. So he just keeps taking all the drugs and drinking all the booze he can find, which obviously makes all the sense. And we've talked about this before. So I drank a liquor store. Yes. I have only observations in this scene but this is the moment where I agree with you that he looks hot because oh yeah the homeless magician look as Chloe calls it kind of works for me because he's now he's less sweaty and only disheveled and the disheveled look really works for me how many buttons did he have open on his shirt a lot of them not enough I found it hilarious when Lucy walks onto the, rather stumbles upon the crime scene, he passes the zombie priest and he mock crosses himself and scoffs at him. And it's just in the background. They love doing that, don't they? He, in this scene, basically gives us the theme of our episode. Every killer must be punished and Lucifer can't punish himself. And this is where the whole guilt and consequences and how to deal with it and everything comes from. And he says, guilt is such a useless emotion. And I found this a really nice foreshadowing to the very end when he admits that he has this feeling he had never he had never felt before. This scene does a really good job in giving us all these heavy interesting deep thoughts while 
entertaining us on uh, such a good level when he starts hitting on the bridesmaid. It's just hilarious. Where did you find the evidence? In her mouth? Actually, yes. Where else? There is this one moment where Lucifer, when he leans in for the kiss, he looks like he's gonna collapse and fall asleep on her shoulder. <laughs> this was just the moment that I saw that. I was like, oh, he's gonna pass out on her. This is so funny. And then they start making out. Then I just kind of stopped the episode. It's like, I have a deja vu. And I realized that I had the exact same thought when I watched it last time, which I find hilarious because that just proves that my brain still works the same. Which is always nice to know. True. And their way of shooting stuff still works on me quite well. I just love this scene. It's just the perfect combination, the balance of deep and shallow kind of these things. Entertaining and having substance. We move on to the precinct. I really have to say Lucy is good when he's bad. He's way more efficient while he's on his destructive and self-destructive streak. And my first note when we see the boyfriend is, damn, the boyfriend looks like he needs a good punch in the face. Yeah. I do have a issue. This is my, I think, only character issue in this episode. And surprise, surprise, it's with Dan. I feel like Dan completely forgot the bond they created with Lucifer last episode when they were bonding over the films and everything. And he's on his case again, trying to get rid of him and just egging him on pretty much the entire time until he gets gets punched in the face. I did not feel that Dan is egging him on. Lucifer is acting out so much that it's not acceptable that he's behaving like he's behaving inside the precinct. Oh no, I agree with that. And Chloe is not calling him out on his bullshit enough. In the end, she draws the consequences, but she's letting him get away with way too much. And I actually agree with Dan. No, it's not about the way he approaches it, but you can see the joy he has approaching it. And that's what I have an issue with. I feel like you're projecting. I didn't read him as gleeful about Lucifer's misbehavior. Maybe I am. I don't know. It was just the only thing that was kind of... It makes sense, obviously, in the context of the show and everything, but but it was just the one thing where I just went like, Meh! you bonded so nicely last time. What happened? Lucifer killed Uriel. That's what happened. Well, yeah, but what did Dan do? Dan did nothing. nothing. As per usual. Lucifer is not interested in casual chit-chatting at the moment. He's interested in self-destructing. Yeah, but what? Never mind. Not important. It's not strong enough feeling for me to try to argue this anyway. I agree, Lucifer, as much as he is terrifying when he sits in the interrogation room and everything. When he comes in and rips off the door handles. I kind of like this. He is, one, he is extremely hot. Very sexy. Hello, I like bad boys. Hi, I'm Vera. But also, when he sits in the interrogation room, he radiates this evilness, which way more fits with the narrative we are used to as towards the devil. And it fits him for some reason. But then he gets out and starts talking to Chloe and he's back to his lighthearted, funny Lucifer we know and love. And it still works for him. So it's really interesting to seeing the other side of him as a punisher, suffering through his trauma, which is Pretty much what he was doing when he got cast into hell was suffering through the trauma of his parents abandoning him and banishing him away. It just feels really interesting to see the both sides of him. It's surprising that he didn't bring out the devil face while still behaving as he usually only did while the devil face was out. That for me was the most curious part of it, that he did not go devil face 
with the dude. I kind of feel that he may have done. He flickers the eyes. Usually we get shown it. So this is what I found surprising. But I fully agree with you. It's nice to get more layers to Lucifer. And Tom Ellis kills both the usual Lucifer that we're used to in the early episodes. And this on several level broken Lucifer. We also in this scene get the latest title card ever. Because it's at 10 minutes 20 seconds. And I feel like this is gonna get worse and worse. Because last episode I already pointed out like oh it's really late. And now it's even later. So I'm curious how that is gonna go. Speaking of curious, Chloe keeps calling Lucifer and his behavior inappropriate. At this moment in the episode, we're already at the third inappropriate. And I don't agree with her. I mean, I agree with her because yes, he is inappropriate, but he's always been inappropriate. Right now, he's just careless as well. He's more inappropriate than usual. He has no boundaries at this point. Yeah, I feel like before he was inappropriate, but he was trying to not go too far and he was... Kind of judging that of her reactions and stuff. And now he just doesn't care. Surprisingly, in this scene, we get another lead and... I'm not annoyed. Usually in past cases when we had lead after lead after lead, which actually happens in this episode, I get very quickly fed up with it. But somehow in this episode, it really, really works for me. The whole chasing, following the leads, talking to the people, plot twists, revelations and everything. It makes it fun and engaging. So apparently I don't have a problem with lead chasing. I have a problem with boring lead chasing. <laughs> it was just interesting for me to realize that ah, it's not the lead following lead that I have an issue with. So now we move on to Lux. I only have one note that goes, wait, is mom trying to be a good mom? Oh no, here's her uncle. Called it. I have notes. Go for it. I will react to your notes, but I have not written down anything else because... This is very upsetting and I do not like mom and I said it before. Full agreement. It's extremely upsetting, this scene. It makes me dislike her much, much more. But I have quotes. Why? Go for it. Quote one I took enormous issue with. A rebellion here, an apple there. As description for Lucifer acting out feels extremely belittling to me. So that was issue one I had. And Issue two, and here I want to know if you're agreeing with me or if I'm reading way too much into this. When she says a mother knows in relation to a Manadil not having his powers, does that mean she knew he didn't have his power when Lucy told the Manadil to go confront Uriel? That would make sense, wouldn't it? How fucked up is that? I'm telling you, she manipulated the entire situation. She knew exactly what was going to happen. She knew that... Ames was not able to stop Uriel. This for me is the proof that she knew Amenadiel didn't have his powers. Even though he hadn't told her yet. And still she let him go face Uriel fully aware how it would turn out. And this just makes me so angry. Bad mother. Bad, bad mother. Shame on you. <clears throat> Sorry. Don't apologize. Because I didn't notice this little nuance and I absolutely agree with you and now I hate her even more. Yay! Congratulations, <laughs> you made the impossible happen. And finally, of course, Amenadiel is to the brim full of self-loathing now that all of his pride is gone. Before Amenadiel 
was faulty of being prideful and now he is full of self-loathing. It seems like he's only capable of one emotion at a time. I thought that you were gonna say he's full of shit, which I would agree with as well. The next time we go into that plotline, then we can talk about being full of shit. But at this moment, he is simply full of self-hatred. And there's no room for anything but self-hatred. It feels like a family trait right now, doesn't it? It feels like mom knows how to make her children hate themselves. So, fucker. Let's just go back to the precinct. And back at the precinct, as I said before, bad Lucy, much better at his job. And also, yet another lead. And that's all I have for that scene. <laughs> so, I have an actual question. Oh, nice. Okay, one, did Lucifer lick that fucking napkin? Because at the very end of the scene... No, he touched it and... Uh, licks his finger and then... Okay, gross, still gross. So in this scene, we get to the conclusion that this is somebody with a rifle. And to my knowledge, people who have a rifle and are snipers or are any good at it are trained professionals. So I just find it baffling that he would leave the napkin behind because that feels like very amateur move. I think that the good Wes is focused and distracted at the same time because he's only focused on punishing the people by killing their loved ones while being distracted by his own guilt. And now when I said that aloud, I kind of wonder, did he do it in order to get caught and be punished? I would not disagree with that. That feels like the only logical explanation for him to try to get caught, even though he's trying to punish. Never mind, so we just answered my very good question. No. That's a good question. And we can move on to the food track with a song called The Girl is Back in Town by Chantal Claret. I called this an unexpected death because I did not see that coming at all. I said, fuck, I don't remember this episode at all. I have had a field day with the expressions of the people in front of the track when they approach it. Because if you watch it very carefully, they approach the track and there is a girl in a bikini. And I was like, hmm, why is this girl in a bikini there? You know, it feels like a very kind of just a random standby. I was so distracted by Lucifer being distracted by her that I didn't notice anything else. But yeah, so Lucifer comes in and sees her completely forgets about Chloe being anywhere near or that he has a mission or anything like that. And then Chloe approaches the truck, skips the line. Does she identify herself as police? I don't think she does. So she skips the line and the outrage of all the people around her just look at her like, how dare she skip the line <laughs> goes over. And then she only starts asking questions. So it feels like everybody kind of just eases up and then Lucifer starts shouting out orders and everybody just gets super upset. Like we've been standing here for hours. How dare you skip the line and just shout your order. And then he goes on onto, oh, and this is, you know, sweaty balls and stuff like that. Oily. Same thing. <laughs> no. Everybody oh, yeah. just gets super, super upset. And it's just so funny to watch. Ah, oh, feel they. They did some really good work there, all those extras. Now I feel like I have to go back into this scene because I was distracted by Lucifer being distracted. So didn't see any of that. And I didn't see the shot coming at all. Me neither. I have to say, though, Chloe has a really good reflexes, as always. The cop car shows up and she immediately gets them to figure out what's happening inside the truck, if he's still alive or whatever. She issues orders instantly and then off she goes. 
as usual, or as pretty much most of the time, Chloe, very good at her job. And then she gets on the rooftop. But now we get to the sweet side plot, as I called it. Well, before we get to that, we are back in the precinct and Lucifer is calling a hundred handy when he's at the snack machine i must confess i have zero notes on the part in the precinct because i only focused on the part with trixie and mace yeah so he calls a hundred a handy in which point i just went what the fuck happened to you what's wrong with you you know what's wrong with him and i know my next note is oh yeah you killed your own brother never mind <laughs> Shame. Look, I knew when I w was writing this down that that was the reason, but a handy, really horrible. I hate that word with all my soul, which I don't have. Really? It's just so gross. There's this moment where Chloe calls him out for not stealing in the middle of a precinct. And he is not stealing. He wants to pay. He just doesn't have a means to do that. So he just opens and leaves his hundred there. I'm absolutely fine with that. And this is where she gets so distracted with a phone call. Trixie, she pressures Chloe into letting Maze take her trick-or-treating. And... I just love that Chloe is utterly powerless towards the pressure done by Trixie. Points to Trixie, very much there for it. As per usual. And I fully agree with Trixie when she says, after she puts on her princess costume and isn't happy with it, Halloween is supposed to be the one night you get to be whatever you want. A Halloween is not a thing for me, but I can absolutely agree, even though I don't have this knowledge, that children's opinions on what's cool change very often. You should realize that, and Chloe is a good mother, she should know this. I think Chloe has been very distracted since we've known her. And it's not just Trixie's perception of what is cool changed, but Halloween is where you can go all the weird ways that you usually can't. So you can try out a new part of yourself and see how it feels and fits. It's like in Buffy in the Halloween episode, Willow does the whole ghost sexy girl thing. Buffy literally says to Willow that Halloween is supposed to be the day where you are able to let the hidden parts of yourself out, be your inner self on the outside. Getting back to our scene once it is settled that Trixie and Mace are gonna go trick-or-treating and Mace agrees that the princess outfit has to go, we get the twist in our case that puts us back on the right track. Yes, and the only thing I said, Chloe is so fucking smart. And it took me a couple of seconds to remember why, but... <laughs> I should have written it down, really. Honestly, I can't remember either. And I didn't put it down either. It's because she realized that the victims are not connected themselves, but the spouses are connected. Also, why would you bend over the picture? Privacy. Yeah, but I kind of feel like they usually on cup shows that would show the full pictures. I actually appreciated that they didn't. Appreciate it, but at this moment, slow them down. And that brings us to the hospital. I called this scene, Lucy keeps spiraling. And when we're in the hospital, Chloe and Lucy have this talking bit and like, oh, what you think you're gonna hug me and then Dan shows up and Lucy hugs the life out of Dan and I'm living for it just how it looks and how it feels and how he's behaving and everything yes please more I saw this and I started being suspicious 
turns out that I was right. The fact that he takes the badge and the gun off of him just makes it even more perfect for me. It's very good, yes. We also get another exchange here. This episode is extremely literal in the regard that the dialogue gives us all the issues that the characters are actually having without spelling it out. Because Lucy says, I did what I had to do. And Dan goes, you only ever do what you want to do. And there is so much truth in there. Because you see Tom Ellis's face reacting to that accusation and he's reacting like that there's a shit ton of things that he didn't want to do and everything. But it is true that most of the time he does what he wants to do. So the murder of his brother weighs even heavier on him. See, this is the problem for Lucifer now. Because technically, yes, this is what he wanted to do. This is what needed to be done He would rather do this than having Chloe and mom dead. Yeah, you always have a choice, even if both options are shit. Exactly. It was a choice that he had to make. The only thing that made him do it was the circumstance. And so I get his emotional reaction to Dan claiming that he only does what he wants to do. This is just very complicated and difficult process that he needs to accept that he did what he did because he wanted to do it. But he also needs to accept that he did it because he loves somebody and it was a necessity. That being said, I know from experience that knowing you should accept something doesn't mean you're actually able to accept it. Life would be way too easy if it was that simple. But it's a first step. I actually really like Dan in the entire scene. Like, he's still ribbing Lucifer for his obviously problematic behavior. I understand why he gets punched in the face. I can appreciate how he behaves after being punched in the face. And I fully agree with him when he makes a suggestion to keep the files for a bit longer. Because Dan, from episode one, has been the grey area cop. Chloe, as I have repeatedly said, to me is morally extremely white and he is extremely grey. Yeah, that's fair enough. Before we get into the next scene. With the celestial family. We have a moment, historical moment. We were both wrong about something. No. About what? We made a bet a couple episodes ago about which artist is going to be the next repeated artist. And we have one right now. <gasps> which one? The song is called Way Down We Go. Which, brilliant name for this scene, by the way. But it's by Kaleo, which is not only the same artist that performs the first song of this episode, but it's from the same album. Wow. So not only they got the same artist in one episode, but it's from the same album. Amazing song, by the way. This we could not have called. Exactly. We were wrong, but at the same time, not our fault. Way Down We Go by Kaleo is playing while we're walking through the forest and yes mother this was because of you you should embrace that you are the one at fault for all three of your sons so suck it up and stop being bad because i hate you since i already complained quite emotionally in the last celestial family scene i'm gonna hold back in this one but i do have a question we now have a fucking angel carcass on earth Simply buried somewhere in the forest. That doesn't seem safe. Oh, I, is that the question? I mean, the whole divinity stuff and everything? Do his wings vanish because he's dead? Is his corpse not of a celestial? I see potential problems arising from there. You should 
probably not bury an angel in the fucking earth. See, this is an interesting philosophical debate. So humans are, according to Bible, correct me if I'm wrong, according to Bible, humans were created from earth clay dust yes and you are a dust and in dust you will return or whatever is that saying what comes from dust must return to dust ashes to ashes dust to dust there we go what are angels bodies created from is my question and i know that this is a completely philosophical question that we have no ways and no means in answering that is what prompted me to doubt that the angel bodies that we see are their actual bodies because as far as i understand angels do not have bodies in the sense as we would see humans but they have like a thousand wings and several heads and mouths and they defy physics and the first sentence pretty much every angel says is do not be afraid because their sheer appearance is terrifying see this is something that is really well done in supernatural where we get this whole angels are possessing bodies and they need vessels in order to walk the earth and if you look at an angel without a shell in supernatural it burns your fucking eyes out yep you did but From what we know in the lore of Lucifer... It seems angels have bodies. It seems different. I have accepted that as canon, so I'm fine with it. And I just wonder now what they are made of. Because if you bury a person, a human, into Earth, and that's one of the reasons why we do that technically, is that we become Earth again. So if you bury an angel body, what will it become is my question. Yeah, that's why I'm wondering. It might be something that is earthly. And in that case, I don't have an issue with it. But also it might be something that has nothing to do with what earth is made out of and that may create an issue for the future the problem is creation history wise humanity was created on the last day and the earth was created i think on the third day and i'm pretty sure at that point we already had angels so as far as i understand it they can't be made out of the earth because they existed before the earth was there we're definitely going to have a discussion about that again i was about to say more i was going to say more in depth and then i realized that we've been talking about this for the last 10 minutes But yeah, so we're definitely going to talk about this again. I think it's a really interesting philosophical issue because then technically you can pose the question if God created Earth from the same material as he created angels from. Ooh, that would be a nice way out. Yeah. And then he would have created humans from the same material as the earth is so it would kind of make it a full circle we'll see where it goes so at least now we've said it we go back to lux now right mm-hmm. and lux usually means music oh actually i have a music note oh go on because the celestial family scene ended with music starting the music plays throughout the entire next scene and goes all the way into the beginning of Dan and Chloe in the next scene. Oh, does it? Because I do not have a song. It's uh, background music. It's like their new, more expensive scene transition music. So, But it's not just a transition from one scene to the next one. It plays through the entire scene 12. And it brings it together. All the way into scene 13. So that was really interesting. 
this is one of the scenes that got me emotionally a bit because when Lucifer turns around and he thinks he sees his brother and he knows that Uriel is dead and that no way in heaven or hell that this could be Uriel but he's still hoping against hope and tries to approach him and the waitress runs into him and she says it's not your fault of course she's referring to the drink being spilled but in that setting it just hurt me and i i really felt for it but the entire scene really made me feel for lucifer and he he's just so sad and broken and i just want to give him a hug this is really really painful this episode got me teary-eyed a few times and this was one of them i only have one note for the next scene Where the fuck is Ella? They're using her office, technically. That's a very good question. I totally did not notice that she wasn't there. It took me a few scenes, but I realized because it feels like they're doing a lot of work that should have been done by herself. Also, they have the napkin. Why isn't Ella there to test the DNA? Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I actually only have Dan and Chloe are working well together and now we have a suspect. And of course, like I mentioned, the music transitions until this scene and now fades out and i also only have one note for the next scene when they're hunting down the killer he has this guitar case for his sniper rifle and that made perfect sense at the wedding it does make zero sense at strode industries so that felt really out of place there I didn't even pay attention to it. I was just so invested emotionally at that moment. Also, I was very upset about the whole Ella thing because this is the moment where I realized that she should have been there and do all the forensic work and they intentionally skip her. So, boo! Boo episode! No, you're absolutely right. I didn't even notice, but you're absolutely right. So, we get to the real star scene in this episode and we do have a song for this one. For trick and treating? Yeah! Have you noticed the song? No. It feels like a children's song slash kind of a adult song. It's kind of very playful and it's fun. And it's called Haunted Rave and it's by Gary and the Ghouls. Rave as in the monster Rave? Rave as raving. Oh, R-A-V-E. Yes. Okay, then it makes no sense to me. Okay. Haunted Rave is like they went on a rave, so they went trick-or-treating. A rave for me is a techno party, so... You're not American, though. You don't understand. But... Seriously, Mace is by far the best trick-or-treating partner ever. Also, she made that fucking costume for Trixie. So, point one. She made the fucking costume from scratch with no preparation time, which is brilliant. Then, apparently she was quick enough that there's still enough time to go proper trick-or-treating. And then they go up to the door and her entire behavior is perfection. The body language, everything, I agree. It's so good. The facial expression and then, oh, what you're supposed to be, the president of Mars. Duh. Duh. And it's so good. And then she doesn't even say anything else. And he just keeps giving Trixie all the candy and then taking out his wallet and the money. Oh, she's so threatening without doing anything. Actually threatening. And the pirate is so confused by the whole situation. It's so good. Rightfully so. And then Trixie has this short moment where she's like, oh, I really hope you've worn a costume. And freaking Mace, who doesn't care for or about anyone except Lucifer and maybe a tiny bit the man deal, has this soft moment where she looks down at Trixie and goes, I actually brought something. You have to turn around. And you hear this special 
special effect sound where something happened. And Trixie turns around and in this second it takes for Trixie to look at her face, take in what she sees and react in classic Trixie fashion with the oh my god it's so amazing. You see this insecurity on Maze's face. The fear of not being accepted. And scaring one of her very few friends away and it's just... And she's showing Trixie her true face. This scene was so sweet and so heartbreaking and I just loved it so much. And it's so it is so much at odds with the destruction and pain and guilt on the main plot. And I'm really, really appreciative that we get this positive, sweet, soft, love, affection, everything. I absolutely agree with everything you just said. So with this amazing scene drawn to the end, we get to the musical sensation of this episode. Holy shit. And that is Lucifer playing piano. And before we get into the whole meaning and deep thoughts and everything, I will talk a little bit about the song, which is completely unrelated to the episode itself. But I will tell you anyway, because I think it's fucking amazing and it's very interesting. So the song that Lucifer or Tom Ellis is performing is called The Unforgiven, which is originally released in 1991 by Metallica. Is it The Unforgiven or just Unforgiven? I've seen both versions online. Because I thought it is only Unforgiven. Because the lyrics say, uh, I call you Unforgiven. Possible, yeah. I've seen both versions. They did two sequels of the song on uh, later albums. So you have Unforgiven 2 and 3. I did not know that. I think the second one comes out in 1997 and the third one maybe even later. Long time metalhead. I should know that. I did not know that. Thank you. But on the show Classic Albums, Metallica the Black Album, James Hetfield explained that the intro was taken from the score of a Western movie and reversed so it would not be identifiable. The band won't reveal the movie for legal reasons, but it is probably the 1965 Clint Eastwood movie for a few dollars more. So that's the assumption. James Hetfield's singing on this track was inspired by Chris Isaac's song Wicked Game, which in my opinion is one of the greatest songs of all time, but that's just me. And at this point, James wanted to sing. He had done a lot of screaming, but now he wanted to go somewhere else. So this is pretty much Metallica's first proper sang songs, which is amazing. And then they go on to do so much more. And it's... ah. Metallica. You know what I'm talking about. Not a fan. Are you not? Interesting. Actually, not surprising at all when I think about it. And I just, as I often do, wrote down the beginning of the lyrics because, again, as always, listen to the lyrics if you listen to the song. Read the lyrics before you listen to the song. It's fucking good. And this goes, New blood joins the earth, and quickly he's subdued. Throughout constant pain disgrace, the young boy learns their rules. And fuck, how that fits for what we are seeing. Unreal. I found it very interesting because he's just playing, he's not singing. But because I know the song quite well. The lyrics are haunting, even though they are not sung. If you know the song, you can basically hear it like he was singing it. And 
it's very very fitting i fully agree yet another proof of the people who work on lucifer possibly it's the post-production possibly it's the people who work on the songs i believe they all work together the fact that they give you so many amazing songs before and it always goes really well with what they're trying to show especially when it's lucifer performing it in this moment it's even stronger that they give you the song without any lyrics so go lucifer definitely go showrunners go creators go everyone who makes this so much more than just trashy entertainment we love you a lot if you haven't noticed yet (laughs) and also that we don't get lyrics makes it separate from the previous times that we heard lucifer perform because it would have felt weird had he now had the energy to actually sing usually singing is powered by some kind of emotion and at this point lucifer is broken there is no energy left and the song in itself is not played extremely fast or anything this is basically all that he is able to do at this moment and this is why at least for me it's so so fitting and of course every time he plays it just creates this atmosphere but what i most liked about this is that it keeps playing while we intercut with the mom and the menadiel scenes we cut over there twice the first time mom is actively manipulating Amenadiel, needling him to basically rebel against God. And the second time we cut there, Ames makes his choice. He reaches his decision. And what makes me super, super angry is that I agree with his decision, but I hate how he came to this conclusion. And that makes me irrationally angry. Fuck you, mom. Yeah, to me, this entire moment was just filled with me screaming at the telly. Just fucking own up to your own mistakes, Ames. Stop playing the blaming game because he just won't fucking stop. I feel Amanadiel still has a very long way to go until he's gonna be able to see and smell his own bullshit. Yep, and the way mom treats him and the way everybody treats him is not helping him get there. Exactly, especially how mom is playing him is not helpful for him to find his own shortcomings. I feel Mace actually would probably be a good influence here. But Mace is a good influence on everybody on this show. (laughs) That's true. And so is Trixie. That's why them together work really well. But as long as Ames and Mom have this closeness, there is no way that Mace is even going to have a chance to take influence. See, interesting thing about this rewatching and going really deep into this. I did not remember hating mom this much when I watched it the first time. I was never a fan, but I didn't hate her that much either. Yeah, I feel like when we stop and think about her character and what's happening there, you realize how bad she is for her entire family and you start to understand a little bit more why she was in hell in the first place. That's a realization that I just made. You're welcome. (laughs) And... As you mentioned earlier, the way this scene or these two scenes are cut together is just a work of genius. It gives you so much more than if they would have just put it separately. At the end of the scene, we have Lucy losing his shit with the glass and the cigarette inside the glass. and He's breaking. I mean, we can look at it in a positive way. It means that he can only go up now. The thing is, I thought that this 
was gonna be the point where he goes to Linda. And then we go over to the final scene for the case of the week. And he's there. And I'm just... My heart is fucking breaking. This scene was very painful and very emotional. And I felt so, so bad for him. I'm not really sure what to say about this scene. I did have a few questions that got answered fairly quickly but the emotional trauma that this put me through makes it quite difficult to talk about it or you know like just figure out where to start the fact that he is going through this self-destructive period of time where it's very lucifer the way he handles the situation if you think about it it's very on brand for him especially the inadvertently protecting an innocent even in the happy scenes and happy episodes and everything lucifer never straight on says like oh i gotta protect the innocent but he very often accidentally protects or saves someone he keeps talking to the sniper and the sniper kind of has to keep shooting because he has a mission of course while he keeps shooting he's distracted and so lucifer inadvertently helps chloe pin down the perp first locate him by seeing where the shots are coming from and then getting there this episode in its entirety is so heartbreaking but i was laughing so hard when he tries to turn around and the rifle is too long and he clanks it against the metal bars so he can't turn around and point it at chloe that's the one downside of being a sniper also it's a really smart way to get out of a potential shootout which would have then put Chloe at risk for which Lucifer at the moment he does not have the headspace for that so I really like this solution that's all very good and then we get to the moment where Lucifer tries to figure out what the fuck is the story with the sniper and there is this one moment that stood out to me where Lucifer pulls Linda on himself by saying it's not vengeance you want it's punishment and that is connected to him realizing that he is on the same boat and that is in my opinion the thing that breaks him down and sends him towards Linda. I called it self-blame being the cause for all the lashing out both on the side for Wes the killer and on Lucifer and like you said him talking to Wes leads to him having the realization that he is looking for punishment. Not to mention that Chloe is trying to get him to talk and then she says if you won't talk to me talk to somebody else you have a therapist which is a kind of a nice nod to like yes we have insinuated that he's gonna go to linda now but look she's gonna say it as well so that scene definitely one of the scenes that made me go teary we get a tiny tiny breather before the finale of this episode and i mentioned in the intro that on the tv we see a horror movie going and it's the 1984 nightmare on elm street i love that maze is is letting Trixie watch movies like that because I sneaked to watch these movies at a very young age as well and it didn't hurt me. I would still not be able to sleep if I saw that in that age or even now. <laughs> and they are so cute together on the couch and Chloe coming home and seeing that Mace and Trixie, it's working with the two of them and that is all she needs to accept Mace as her roommate. And then she covers them with the blankie and it's, it's very, very sweet and gives us like a short reprieve 
before we now go into all the pain. There is a song that plays by Quails. There is a few different versions of that, including Lucifer Edit on Spotify. It's literally called Lucifer Edit. <laughs> However, the name of the song is High Hopes, which is very heartbreaking when you think about this scene. That hurts my heart. I want to draw a parallel to the scene where Mace shows her true face to Trixie. And if you look at it, for one, you mentioned that there was this supernatural sound or whatever you called it. Yeah, special effect sound. <laughs> special effect sound when Mace changes her face. And we also always had a special effect sound or some kind of a music when Lucifer showed his devil face before, which in this scene is completely absent. The camera circling them and just having the song called High Hopes playing behind it. That one thing and then the fact that Lucifer knows that this is dangerous the same way as Mace knows that showing her true face is dangerous and he hopes for Linda to be able to accept him for who he is because this is what he's struggling with right now. He is struggling to accept his actions and who he is and what happened to him and he desperately needs somebody to tell him it's gonna be okay, you're not a monster. And unfortunately and understandably this is not the reaction he gets. Just the way we saw Trixie accepting Mace for who she is. We're wishing for Lucifer getting the same reaction and we don't and it's heartbreaking I agree with 95% of what you said I have a few addendums of course we wish for him to get the same acceptance but also Trixie and Mace have the pretend that cushions it yeah obviously it's a different situation and Linda and Lucy have the entire honesty thing and I've phrased it careful what you ask for this is a classic if you don't know what you're asking for you have to be very very careful of course there is no way Linda could have ever seen it coming but she is gonna be scarred for life and the next time she asks for something she's probably gonna be very careful this is the latest name drop for the episode title we've had because only in this scene we do get the monster name drop and it made perfect sense for me that this is the moment Linda refused to keep the metaphor going. Everything is coming together. It was building up to it for a while now, yeah. And the rawness that Lucifer is displaying when he's sitting on her couch and he says something I never felt before, guilt is, in my opinion, the tipping point for when she sees that she cannot help him inside this fairy tale and that she needs to get him out of there to be actually of any use to him. So both are trying so hard to do what is necessary and right to continue their work together and their development of Lucifer's personality and emotionality. So it is impossible for both of them. It's poor Linda, it's poor Lucifer. I understand that he leaves her and he broke her. And I'm very curious how Linda is gonna rationalize because she sits there unmoving, unblinking and with the quivering mouth and I'm not sure how to read that part. It's quivering because she's keeping the screams in or is it quivering because she's half talking to herself? Personally, I think it's a crying face anyway. I'm gonna agree with you because experience. 
eh. acting experience, not crying experience. Yeah, I was like, I don't cry that much. What are you talking about? But just from this last scene, if I transfer to my final thoughts, I believe this is a very good point for Lucifer if, and this is a big if, Linda gets over this and accepts him for who he is. Because that would allow for them to actually start treating him on the real level and it would help him. So that's kind of me on that. But other than that, Dan is back to being a douche in this episode. At least from my perspective, I know that you see it differently. But he was doing so well. Anyhow, I live for Mace and Trixie's storyline. It's just such a good thing. And it just brings me so much joy seeing them two together and Mace growing on who we never knew she could be. And being that is just amazing. And where the fuck was Ella? I said it before, I'm saying it again. She had so much work to do in this episode and she wasn't there to do it. I was disappointed. But we were in her lap, for fuck's sake. Ugh. And then for the last thing... Ames and his speech at the end. As much as I hate that this is happening, it feels like something that we're now kind of a starting something very, very stupid and it's probably gonna get way too big and it's probably gonna destroy our lives and I very much hate it and I'm very excited to see what it is. So a million thumbs up for this episode. It was super good. It was filled with emotions. It was still very funny. We've seen sides of our characters that we haven't seen before and I'm super happy. Except the Dan part, I agree with you 100%. <laughs> Season two has 18 episodes, if I remember correctly. This is episode six, which means we're now one third through. The entire mom bullshit. This is leading towards the potential finale. She is needling her sons against the father. So this is gonna escalate extremely. The episode in itself is probably my favorite now. And it's even better written than the Father Frank one. Chris Rafferty has at this moment six more writing credits for Lucifer. So until the end of season five. And I do hope that he will get more writing credits for season six. But we will get six more episodes at least. And I fucking cannot wait for them. The episode is wonderfully painful. As I've mentioned last episode and this episode as well. If a show does not make me suffer, I probably won't like it. Looking at you, Buffy and Supernatural and Hannibal and Crazy Ex-Girlfriend and Avatar and every fucking show I watch has this effect. It was actually hard to take notes because I was so immersed in the episode and literally every single scene. Like I caught myself having to go back further to rewatch something to take my notes and pausing every time I took my notes because I wasn't willing to miss anything. We got so much character and plot development, which I find surprising. Usually you have either or. And still this episode did not have any rushed feeling to it to me. Like the last episode felt kind of rushed because so much was happening. And this time I did not feel rushed at all. So this episode gets full marks from me. I have absolutely nothing to complain about. For me, this is the best episode of Lucifer. Utter perfection. And I'm very curious if in the future there's going to be another episode as amazing as this. And with this, thank you guys for listening. To get in touch with us, you can do so via various social media or you can send us an email to lucifer at tot-podcast.com. Our episodes can be found on Spotify and iTunes. 
And as we usually do at this part of the episode, thank you to our amazing patrons who are supporting us. And by supporting us, they're getting access to our extra content, which you should listen to, because if you want to learn some more details listen to us endlessly go on philosophical tangents that's where you want to go so if you want to do that go to patreon.com slash daot podcast and join our patreon alternatively just tell all your friends to listen to us because we really appreciate that as well very true and if you can leave us a review on itunes or anywhere else for that matter feel free to do so we would be super happy for that and grateful. Thanks. Thank you. Bye. Bye.